Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Chargman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. My guest today is my best friend in the world, Ben Bergon. You can connect with Ben on his Instagram, at Ben Bergon, his LinkedIn, which of course is his name, Ben Bergon. And additionally, I always donate to and raise awareness for the charity or organization of my guest choice. Ben is on the board of a wonderful organization called Compassion Animal Project. He speaks a little bit to the wonderful work that he's doing at the organization and why it matters so much to him. All of these are linked in the show notes, and please join me in donating to Compassion Animal Project. Now, why is this conversation for you? Ben is the type of person who very simply gets shit done. And when he identifies that he wants something, he will immediately take action and make it happen. And he also balances this with wonderful self-reflection and self-awareness and an ability to help other people do the same thing. So one of the reasons this conversation is for you is because Ben can help you learn a thing or two about yourself, illustrated in his own journey around his sexuality and how he was misaligned in his career. Ben and I both began our career in accounting and realized that we wanted to be more people-centered in our career. And specifically, we are psychology nerds. We actually met in a psychology class at university in college together. And we reflected a little bit about how it's come full circle in us sharing this podcast space today. So if you have felt any sort of misalignment in your life, in your career, aka you're a human being, then this conversation is absolutely for you. And another thing that I really admire about Ben as a person and as a professional, a facilitator, someone who creates psychological safety is just that. He's really good at creating inclusive spaces that honor the humanity of all the different voices, types of people, sexual orientation, gender, ethnicity, race. Ben does an amazing job of creating spaces that honor all of us. And if that is interesting to you, then you're going to learn a lot in this conversation. This conversation is incredibly wide ranging. I think that you are going to get so much out of it. And he's my best friend in the world for a reason. He's just a beautiful person someone who's deeply committed to being the best version of himself. I know that that's trite, but it's true. And helping others be the best versions of themselves. It's just a privilege to be on the path of life with him. And I will let Ben take it from here. So with all of that said, settle in, take a deep breath. And enjoy this wide ranging conversation with Ben Bergon right now. Benny, 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 at long last, <laughs> welcome to Mike's Search for Meaning. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> well, as I start with every single guest, I, I usually say I fucking love you. So I have to do the same with you, Benny. I fucking love you so much. And I'm really glad that we're having this conversation finally. So, But in, in all seriousness, I, I know that you know what's coming and I have the pleasure of 
knowing a little bit about your parents and and what the dinner table experience might be like, but would love to know uh, maybe for Karen and for Steve, what was it like at your dinner tables when you were growing up? Yeah. So first of all, I love you very much back. And, and because I'm a big fan and avid listener of your podcast, I, I knew this question was coming and I really struggle on the question. And I think the reason is because as you were sort of began to allude to, I, it, it, there was no consistent dinner experience for me that I just default to thinking about X, X, Y, and Z at, at the dinner table. My parents were divorced when I was two, so I never, never remembered any, any dinner with the two of them. And then I just had uh, my dad remarried and then got divorced again and, and dated a bunch after that. We lived with different people. My mom dated a bit and then remarried when I was about eight. And so there were just so many different uh, step siblings, half siblings. There were just so many variations <laughs> of the dinner table <laughs> that I, I I don't have. Uh, th- there's there's no one clear picture for me me to paint. I guess maybe, un- unfortunately, I think the memory sort of works sometimes where it remembers some of the whatever generated some of the stronger emotions. And I uh, my my ex stepmom was was quite cruel to me <laughs> growing up and so i do have memories of that that dinner table because she was very manners were extremely important she's from the uk and and i <laughs> manners are are not my my strong suit at the dinner table i as as people know me can attest i i eat way too fast the food goes everywhere and it's it's a it's a kind of a chaotic experience for for people involved. She was she was quite the opposite and and would ridicule me for things that I didn't even know were actual table manners. I think most people wouldn't, but but maybe she was making them up. I'm not sure. <laughs> so uh, I guess being criticized was was something that that stuck with me in, in a negative way. Not to say that all my dinner experiences were negative. A lot of them were were quite positive. But uh, I'll I'll just throw that one out there because it, it stood out. One of my favorite things about you is the way that you eat. I, I have lots of <laughs> memories of the the messy eating, and I I love that you don't have man you're eating at the dinner table, but screw being proper and and having good manners. So yeah, I, I'm I'm wondering. I know that. Well, let me let me just place in that you and I met in a psychology class in college at at Binghamton, and I think that in a lot of ways our paths professionally have been like, how can we bring our love for understanding people, understanding human behavior, helping people navigate tough challenges in their life, tough changes, whatever it might be. We've been finding or searching for that for our entire professional lives, I think. And uh, I'm wondering how innate that felt in you when you were younger? Did did you always have a curiosity for understanding people? And where would you say that probably came from for you? That's so awesome that you called out how we met because I forgot. I That is how we met. And I, I actually forgot about that. And it's so, so symbolic and, and fitting. And I, I was actually a psychology major when you know, right. freshman year of, of, of college. So yes, it was definitely something that was near near and dear to me i was always i've always been to the state most fascinated by 
human behavior and and have sort of a personal mission of making using that understanding and and, and understanding of other <laughs> of of other things to to really help give people more fulfilling career journeys just because of how much time we all spend at at work i want to make that time as 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 meaningful as possible to uh people in in the work sphere <laughs> so so yeah it's 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 a lot of people go to college and they they start off majoring in something and then later in their career they're like i don't know like i i don't know why i chose that and for me it was it was it was quite the opposite i started off with what i was passionate about and then I switched out of it into the into the business school because financial stability and independence was a top priority for me at the time. And and then when I did some deeper reflection later on in my career, it, it brought me right back to, to where I started, which was kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. So we'll definitely circle back to that. And I want to talk about how you kind of weaved out of accounting and into career path that feels more aligned for you. And, and one of the ways I know that you did that was through coaching, which of course, really passionate about. And so I'm going to put a pin in that, but I think another thing that I definitely wanted to talk to you about, and I think they're kind of aligned in an interesting way because they both, they have the commonality of you finding yourself. And so after college, I think your sexuality, you started to come into question around your sexuality. So I, I want to just maybe unpack a little bit about what that was like for you. And maybe we could just start with in college, if there was any turmoil, confusion, like what was it like for you to come into your own in your teen years when you, in a lot of ways, like we're all struggling to find who we are at that point in our life, because we're starting to have our own individuality, we're away from home. And coming to terms with your sexuality when that was in question must have been really challenging for you. So in whatever way you see fit, would love to hear you just talk about what the maybe late teen years in college as you transition into early career, like what was it like for you to explore your sexuality? Yeah, it was it was very, very challenging on on a lot of fronts. It was definitely it's definitely something I had grappled with even before college but when you don't with with anything when you don't talk about it to anyone other than your your own internal voices it can be easy to disregard or discount and and so even though it was something i was struggling with internally it wasn't something that i really did anything or thought about coming out or you know i hadn't really come out to to myself even though i i knew deep down there was there was something there was something going on i just didn't really want to unpack it because i didn't like the outcome uh, at the time uh, i think I, I came out to you actually when i was 25 but to 99% of the, everybody else when i was 26 which is i think rather nowadays it's it's rather late or at least amongst my friends in in the lgbtq plus community it's it's on the on the later side and you know i think some of it just really ties back to other than the fact that the uh, maybe some of the obvious things that I, I didn't see gay people growing up, there was very limited portrayals of, of, of gay men on TV. And, and when, when they were, they weren't they weren't characters that I saw myself in. And mm -hmm. so it caused more sort of dissociation or, or distance between me and, and my identity in this in this sense. And 
so I, I, I never saw myself in, in, in that. And so it was just easy to convince myself that it wasn't something that was, that was possible for me. But then also just going into to who I am as a person and, and what I continue to work on to this date is I, I've always really sought out high achievement and high performance and high approval from, from everybody that is, is around me. And this was something that felt like inconsistent with that. It felt like it was, even if I was accepted, it didn't feel like who I was supposed to be this sort of ideal version of a, you know, of a man in, in, in America, unfortunately. <laughs> and, and so any, any thought of letting somebody down or, 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 or not, living up to some sort of standard was just something I also, I also definitely struggled with as, as well. I really relate to that actually it, at the end when you see, you know, there's like kind of this American male ideal that is propped up in front of us. And you've probably heard me speak about it a lot. The ways that maybe when I'm, I have lots of parts of me, but I, one thing I've come in touch with in the last several years, especially is that my gentleness and kindness and like maybe softness would be another way to put it are things that I actually really admire about myself now, but they, when I juxtapose them against what it means to be like an ideal male, who's high achieving, high performing, which I, I have parts of that as well. And maybe even throw in there athletic, good sports, attractive, I I wanted to lean on those identities because they seemed to be more attractive to the outer world. And there's this distance that's created or this dissonance too of like, that's not, I'm not embracing all of who I am if I just lean on those parts of me all the time. And there's a lot of pain that comes with that. So I, I say this partly because it just feels good to share about myself, of course, but also, I think that whether or not someone identifies as sexually, we all have parts of ourselves that are probably more celebrated societally. And there's this interesting way that we compare ourselves to that. And there's also parts of ourselves that we might tuck away because we don't think that they will be celebrated by other people. And there's a lot of pain when we can't actually accept those parts of ourselves. And so I guess a, a question behind this because I, I know that there have been a lot of different ways that I have fostered more self-acceptance or even self-love in myself. But what were some ways that you started to maybe embrace more of who you are, who you are, whether it be through reflection, therapy, coaching, writing? I know that writing is something that matters to you a lot, too. So what were what were some ways that you started to get more in touch with who you were and accepting, accepting of that? Yeah, great, great question. So when, when you ask that, I think of like, what's the most recent thing I've, I've done to help with that? And then what was the thing I did to help with that in my, in my sort of coming out journey? So I'll start mm -hmm. with, with that first. And it was, it, as I was kind of saying before, I didn't, I never thought I could be in love with another man because I, it just like emotionally i didn't see it like the, the the men that i was close to in my life were my best friends and so i didn't i didn't see it like that 
And and so I I went on uh, birth birthright actually in in Israel with a bunch of people I didn't know, and and one of the people I met on the trip I I started to recognize that I was developing feelings that for him that were emotion you know emotionally like romantically driven and that's that's was it, it took kind of really stepping out of my own environment to be able to kind of look back in <laughs> to myself and, and say, oh, wow, this is something that is, I can't just uh, t- tuck away. And and that sort of prompted me to, <laughs> to to move across the country to San Francisco, because I realized that when I was away from the the environment that I had come to recognize my identity and I, I, I was seeing something else and I, I wanted to explore that, uh, <laughs> explore that further. Yeah. <laughs> So Ivana, you said that there was a, like, it it made you think about ways that you foster more self-acceptance today, but I I want, and I want to get there, but I think maybe I'll throw something in here that is coming up for me in this moment is that a lot of times it is really important to shift context or change environments to have some sort of self-discovery. So it's very common it's almost a cliche that people a lot of times when they feel lost or soul searching will say move to Thailand or something or like go backpacking and travel. And it's a, it is a cliche, but it's also really helpful in finding yourself to take yourself out of this environment. Cause you and I like in our late teen years, even before that, actually we grew up in similar environments before college in upper middle class suburbia in the greater New York city area in college, we had a very similar context. We were surrounded by a lot of other people who grew up in some other version of upper middle class suburbia. And then as we began our careers in accounting, we were surrounded by a lot of other people who valued the stability that you spoke of and uh, the financial security. And moving yourself out of that context and traveling somewhere can really illuminate a lot about yourself because you're, you're placing yourself in a different environment. That, that's something that I don't know if it gets spoken enough about with regard to personal development. I think that a lot of times we place individual responsibility on ourselves, like regardless of our environment, we can learn things about ourselves, but traveling and shifting context really makes a, a big difference. And that was true for you when you went on birthright, when you went to San Francisco. So I want to name that. I mean, I'll give you space here if you if there's anything you want to add. And if not, would love to hear about you said that there are ways that you maybe foster more acceptance in yourself today. And, and there's vantage points from today that you look at. Uh, so wh- whatever way you want to go from here. Yeah, no, that's that's really well said. And 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 I guess to just add on to that a little bit. It's not to say that you can just run away from your problems. Like you could go to a different environment and if you're not dealing with what what you need to deal with, it's not going to just, it's not going to magically go away, but it, whether we like it or not, I, I believe we're all product of, of our environment. So if you want to, if you want to pull that piece of yourself out and, and just explore everything else, I, 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 I and you're intentional about it. I, I, there's so much value that can be derived out of that, but, but, when I did went to San Francisco and moved there, that was that was very intentional. When I went on on birthright, it was less intentional. It just sort of it just sort of happened. So I think there's like you said, there's value in just taking you know taking yourself out of the the day to day routine periodically and just just to mm-hmm. just to kind of uh, see what see what happens. And 
in terms of recently what I've I've ex- been exploring is is just more different ways to spark self-awareness and recently and I've explored a lot of the different personality tests and I've, I've always had sort of mixed feelings about a lot of them but but recently I've I've been a, a big fan of the Enneagram and mm-hmm. took took that and and really it was helpful for me to to kind of to, to read about myself from from a from a an outside perspective and to make me more aware of of some of my predilections and and the fact that going back to what I was saying before on on being sort of a I'm a three by the way for those of you that <laughs> for those of you that have, have taken the Enneagram or are familiar with it but basically this achiever who always wants to appear uh, it, you know, attractive in whatever way that that whatever that means for the for, for the moment. And, and just, it's it's kind of helped me one, be less self critical, because it's that voice in my head that continues to it for better and for worse, it, 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 it drives a lot of uh, my motivation and, and what I do day to day. But also realizing that, like, why am I why am I doing this? Like, do I really need this? Do I need to be appear perfect? Do I need to, do I need to achieve the most and have everybody else think that I'm the absolute best? It's it's not it's not worth it at the cost of your own, <laughs> your own mental well being and 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 happiness. And so I think that that's just helped me begin a path of exploring different ways to balance my my life. Mm-hmm. Could you speak a little bit more? I believe so. Enneagram is actually one of those personality type type castings that I'm not as familiar with. I I know that there's nine types, but could you just say a little bit about like it's it's very clear. I guess an Enneagram three is a high achiever, and you care about coming across it a certain way based on the group that you're in. But could you say a little bit about what the Enneagram is overall? Yeah, the the way one description of it that I felt was, was helpful is that there's, there's nine different types and it's, it's like rooms in a house. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so you, you spend time in, in all of the rooms, but you have your favorite room that you spend the most time in. And it, it, it goes a lot deeper than that with how, you know, whatever your, your secondary, you know, type is. And then based off of your primary, there's certain other types that kind of show up in, in different ways and under different circumstances. So there's, you could kind of go go deeper and deeper on it, and I'm I. It's something I, I I plan to to explore further. But for each each type, there is kind of a spectrum of when you have done a lot of work on yourself and you and you are at your you know well, I'm just going to call it at, at your best. Um, although there's definitely a better 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 term for that. It, what the, how a number two or three shows up, and when you're when you're at your your worst, when you're really struggling or when you're not in touch with yourself, you know, what what it kind of looks like and and, and everywhere in the middle. Another uh, another great way to d- describe a, a three to encapsulate it is that after taking the test and getting a three, threes will immediately try to figure out if that's the best number to get out of all of the other ones. <laughs> uh, and that is exactly that is exactly what I did. I was like, wait, is this is this the one I want? Is this the best is this the most optimal one for for me? Which was also quite quite eye opening to just, you know, <laughs> to, to fall into that, that trap, it, it really makes you want to, to to unpack that a little bit further. <laughs> <laughs> do, do I have the best kind of personality? 
SP yeah. type person. Yeah, which right? is totally not the point. <laughs> that there is no best. <laughs> there is no best. They can all show up in in amazing ways. It's it's just about looking inward to 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 foster that. Yeah. Well, another thing that was baked into your response a little bit is that with the rooms in a house, if we use that as a visual, it's that we all have elements of lots of different qualities, but we also usually predominantly show up as one and maybe in the secondary, even tertiary, we have other qualities we lean on. But I, I'm guessing another benefit of doing a personality test like this is that you realize there's maybe dormant qualities in other rooms of your inner house, so to speak, that you have access to that you might otherwise not have been in touch with. Has that shown up for you in any way? Totally. I think having more access to all of the rooms in the house is such a superpower uh, because it, in different situations, it's 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 helpful to have access to, to all. They, there's all amazing strengths and, and beauty in, in, in each of them. And so being more in touch with what that looks like and 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 how to access it is is is, is a great thing to be aware of. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing, I'm not guessing. I know this pretty well at this point. But your your three energy of being achievement oriented and I don't know if this would be characterized as a three in enneagram, but I know this is a quality of you for sure. Is that when you want something, you go after it, you put a really clear plan in place, and you definitely act on that plan. And I really admired this about you as you transitioned from accounting, identifying what you wanted to do within Chobani, where you are now, and just really actively made it happen. Like you just took all these different steps to move towards what you really wanted. And uh, I'm I'm wondering if you could take us a little bit on the arc of when you realized that, because we've spoken about how psychology was your major at Binghamton, you began your career in accounting. You bounced around a little bit within accounting, but at Chobani, you were in very clearly a financial accounting role and identified, I want to shift into more people-oriented roles. So I know that we're skipping a lot of steps, but could you talk a little bit about how you started to make that happen, starting with maybe where you identified, this isn't the right thing for me, accounting, I want to shift. And then like, how did you start to make it happen? Yeah, it was it was quite the journey. I, I want to tell it in a concise but thorough way. I guess those can potentially be <laughs> opposite words, but we'll, 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 we'll give it a shot. Take all the time you need, Benny. <laughs> So when I was at KPMG in, in my accounting career, one of the, the most fulfilling things I did there was I was a national instructor at our, our trainings. And I spent three, four weeks out of the year each year doing that and, and instructing trainings on technical and soft skills for interns and first and second year associates. And I, I loved it, especially because it was folks who were just entering their career and they were kind of bright eyed and bushy tailed and ready to ready to absorb the information that you were that you were putting out there. And what was cool about how KPMG structured that was they paired an internal employee with an external professor at a university that teaches accounting or some something in that that realm. And so I got to spend a lot of time with some really fantastic professors who basically 
got me down the route of academia where I wanted to to leverage my passion for helping people and for yeah for for helping people and for teaching and my my career experience and and degree I felt I could get best of both worlds especially when I I realized that from a research perspective on the PhD route I could do behavioral research which is based in psychology and so it felt like this perfect kind of culmination of of everything and I went very far down the path of 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 doing that <laughs> I got a scholarship I took the GMAT I I really was I was as you were alluding to before I was ready to go all in and and then I saw this just randomly on LinkedIn, saw this job opening at, at Chobani, which is a company that I have always, from when we were in Binghamton together, I, that's when I had my first <laughs> Chobani in the dining hall. I've always been a huge fan of the the brand and the product and uh, the role seemed really perfect for my experience and the company was getting ready for an IPO and I the, it was a new role designed to help with that. So super exciting. I, I hit it off with my boss and I took the job uh, because I still would have had over a year before I would have started the PhD program. But then I ultimately realized that I wanted to give it more of a shot than than one year. And I spoke to a couple of mentors in the world of academia who told me it was okay to put this on pause. I can always revisit this, this path. And my experience at Chobani will actually be really beneficial in anything I try to do in that realm in terms of, of, of research and, and teaching. And so, so I, I, I gave that, that my all and, and I spent two years getting us ready for an IPO that then was delayed slash with withdrawn. And, and even before that, I, I started to kind of hit in a, an inflection point where I, I realized that even though I was enjoying what I was doing, I didn't want to do it again. <laughs> I didn't want to do it for another company. I didn't want to hit like a more of a status quo in in my current role. I, I, a really cool part about my previous role at Chobani uh, in our finance group was that I got to work with all of the different de- sub-departments within finance. So I got to get a little bit of a taste of what everybody did and I didn't want to do any of it. <laughs> and and then when I so then I thought back to the the whole academia route and I and I sort of realized, well, one, I didn't really want to go five years without making any any money. And two, I was only pursuing that route because I felt like I needed to leverage my accounting degree and experience in whatever I did next. Otherwise it would have been otherwise it felt like a waste. It it felt like a sunken cost which is a very wrong <laughs> I, I was wrong in that belief but that was my belief at the time and so i i let go of, of of that avenue also and and so at this point i was feeling at this point i was like okay well now what and so who did i reach out to but my chart <laughs> and and you actually sent me 10 kind of thought provoking questions for for kind of examining your career path which to to this date and as recently as 2 days ago I sent to other people <laughs> and and the funny part is though I actually did not get past the first question out of the 10 that you sent me <laughs> because the first question led me right back to psychology <laughs> ironically what was the first question it something gosh I, I I I don't remember off the top of my head but obviously something to do with 
what brings you joy or what are you fascinated about reading about outside of, you know, when you're not, you know, incentivized to from a work perspective. And it brought me right back to psychology, which is so ironic that we met in psychology class. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, and then I, I reached out to actually my ex girlfriend who is in the field of psychology. And I said, listen, like, I don't want to be a therapist, but I love psychology. I want to help people. What are some of the different avenues that I could explore? And that led me to organizational psychology because I want to uh, kind of going back to my own personal mission. I want to help people have more fulfilling experiences at, at work. So light bulb, everything's great. I, I have a path. And then I hit another massive block in the road where I was like, wow, I'd have to go back to school and get this degree in, in IO psych to, to go do this. Cause I'm not qualified to, to do this right now. And to do that, I would have to either do it while working, which would mean I would have no time for anything else, <laughs> or I would have to stop working and not make any money and, and pay money for the, the, the degree. And so none of those options felt good to me. They didn't feel, they didn't make me want to go dive in to that next step tomorrow. And that, that stuck feeling was, was, was paralyzing and it, the, that of like hopelessness to it. And, and that's when I randomly again on LinkedIn, wow, this is, this is twice LinkedIn's coming up randomly and scrolling on LinkedIn. And I saw a colleague of mine post about her twin sister's coaching business. And the colleague of mine is somebody who I had a lot of respect for and who I really enjoyed uh, working with. We didn't work super closely together, but in, in the times that we did, I there was just something unique about her where, where I just had this sort of innate trust or gut instinct about this this post she wrote about her, her sister, her sister's coaching business. And so just went out on a limb and and I I met had an exploratory call with with Marissa Fernandez who's the best coach ever I'll just give a quick quick plug to that and we had we had a really good good chat and I decided I I wanted to make this this investment in my, in myself to to explore some next steps and and you know I won't get into all of the details of the coaching relationship there. Cause I could go on for probably like an hour on that, but, but it was, it was definitely transformational, not in some like a big bang theory type of way, but, but transformational in a, uh, seeing the power of, of taking a lot of little baby steps that can culminate into really fantastic outcomes. If you're consistent and, and persistent uh, with those, those baby steps and, and the baby steps are also what helped me kind of break out of that paralysis um, because I, there was something I could do that wasn't so drastic, but it was a step in the right direction. And that kind of creates its own inertia and, and motivation to, to keep going. Hmm. So there's a, there's a couple of things I want to appreciate about what you shared, because I think they're really, really valuable. One is it's no small thing to start experimenting with, like you said, you tried all the different little buckets of finance at Trabani and realized none of them were for you. And there's actually something really valuable about acting on that, trying them out and realizing this isn't the right thing for me. There's a, it, it moves you closer towards that North star. And I think it's really easy to get stuck in our heads and our own thoughts and to 
trying to figure out what we want without doing anything about it. And I've certainly fallen into that trap. And uh, there's this dance that you seem to do really well around reflection and action and like weaving both of them together. So it was really also just as a sidebar, I totally forgot that you at one point were really heavily considering academia yeah. and it's like we're we're relearning lots of things about each other in this conversation yeah, so. absolutely <laughs> it's great that that type of reflection is is it's weird how the memory works but it's nice to kind of bring bubble some of those things back up it's 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 pretty cool and and to to add on to what you're saying it's just as powerful to learn about what you don't want to do or what you don't mm-hmm. like it, that's that's part of like the iterative process of, of life. But if you don't try things out uh, or explore different avenues, then you don't have as broad of an understanding of, of what to, to actually go for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and something else that I definitely wanted to underline about what you said is that in a lot of your journey, it seems that you have identified the gap. So in this case, it was, I might need to go back to school. I might need to get an IO psychology degree. That doesn't feel like an enticing option for me. What are some other ways I might be able to bridge this gap? And and then you were able to act on it from there. And it does seem like these different signs will almost magically pop up. And so you intuitively saw, oh, like this is someone I trust. I can maybe work with a coach or coach can help me see things that I'm maybe not seeing with myself, which, which leads into you started to go there a little bit and I actually would love to hear all the different things that you went through with Marissa. Like what, what did she help highlight for you? I know one of the things actually I I was doing as much research as possible to prepare for this conversation. And at one point you sent me an exercise that you did around your self-talk and you reflected, I think you made a little guide for yourself on different beliefs that you had and ways that you could course correct when you had beliefs like that. And and one of the things you wrote for, for yourself was something along the lines of no one has, or you've never failed to meet any expectations for anyone you've ever worked with, except for your own. So just realize that you're always meeting people's expectations. It's okay to uh, to not meet other people's expectations to do what I really want. And in some way that was prompted and provoked by working with Marissa. So whether it was that self-talk exercise or otherwise, what were some things that you were able to zoom in on and hone on with Marissa and from working with a coach? For sure. There's um, the baby steps was, was a big one. Confidence is another big one. It's something, as you can probably see from some of my my own challenges around how I speak to myself and around self self compassion, that having somebody in my corner to instill confidence in me and to be a a cheerleader, it sounds, it's maybe it sounds almost trivial compared to people expecting like, you know. I don't know what expectations are around coaching, but this one, at least for me and everybody's different in terms of what their, their needs are and good coaches can, can be perceptive and responsive to that. But confidence was a really big one for me. And I had a lot of exactly what you were saying, a lot of fear of letting people down at the time. I had a fear of letting my boss down at the time who became like a best friend to me and who, 
made my experience. I actually, so what I, I wrote him a letter on my last day working for him, thanking him. And I actually drew a parallel to, to coming out because I had a girlfriend leading up to me coming out who I felt was perfect for me in, 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 mm. in a lot of ways. And I, and I knew that if I was straight, that I would just, if I was straight, I would wind up marrying her. And and because that that's not right, I know that I'm not straight. <laughs> and, and so I, I made that parallel to my boss and said, I couldn't have had a better working situation in this profession than working under you. You gave me autonomy. You trusted me. You always had my back and advocated for what I believed we should be advocating for. And it still wasn't, it still wasn't right for me. It still wasn't what I wanted to do. And, and that was, really scary for me because I didn't want to let, I didn't want to make him think that it had anything to do with, with working for him. It was actually quite the, quite the contrary. And, and, and Marissa helped give me a lot of, of confidence in having difficult conversations and overcoming this fear that I, I, I just have so deep in me about letting people down. And, and that, that was super helpful. So just going to keep, we're going baby steps and confidence are, are, are two of the big ones. And then a, a, another really big one is accountability. So when you're doing something for yourself at work, it's easy. Your boss holds you accountable. Your team has to hold you accountable. Maybe your cross-functional partners are holding you accountable. And so there is a natural and well, there should be a natural system of accountability to to keep things to keep things moving along. But when you're doing when you're pursuing something for yourself, it's it's significantly harder when there's no accountability other than than to yourself. And so having Marissa to 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 meet with, and I was paying good money to 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 have this coaching relationship. And so I didn't want to waste. I don't want that money to go to waste. So I was going to do the things that I said I was going to do in between our sessions and I was going to try to make the most out of it because I'd already invested in it. I paid up front <laughs> and that's, and that's super helpful in and of itself. And, and it really kept me, it kept me moving at a pace that I, I just, there's no way that I would have moved at that pace otherwise. And, and just helping direct that, you know, those baby steps as well. Even it, it, it just, it, it made a, it made a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a, a former guest. So did you have something else there? I got one more, but go, go first. I, I, I could use this. <laughs> get get some talking. water. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there's a, a former guest of mine. His name is Zach Carlson. And I was asking him about transformative experiences in, in his own life. And he said that one of the first coaches or might've been the first coach he worked with, the, the investment was, I don't know what the number was. Let's call it $6,000. He said, just investing the $6,000 before any coaching was done was one of the most transformative experiences he ever had because it it already shifted this narrative in him of like, I am, I think A, I'm worth investing this much in myself. And B, if I invest this much in myself, there's a lot at stake here and I am going to show up for myself. <laughs> yeah. And so there's something to be said about just making that investment in yourself that the, uh, like the, a lot of the other details seem to kind of take care of themselves as a natural byproduct of it, which isn't to say that you don't want to do your due diligence. Of course, there's a lot of, <laughs> you don't want to just go throwing $6,000 around or whatever the number is, but uh, there is something to be said about taking that action and making that commitment to yourself. Absolutely. Without a doubt, I can, I can completely relate to that that feeling in terms of 
in terms of the investment. Mm-hmm. So now that you're refreshed and, and your thirst is quenched, uh, what were you, you did have one more thing that you wanted to throw in there, it seemed. Yeah, just really good questions that make you have to solve problems for yourself. <laughs> and what what I appreciated about the the coaching relationship was was that she would make sure that I was exhausting my you know capacity to think through my options and what what to do next or how to handle a certain situation and but then after I exhausted that it provides some some suggestions or ideas as well so it just it it strengthened my ability to 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 think through challenges and problems myself while also inserting some of her own own wisdom and perspective that that really helps putting those two two together really helped me take a lot of really positive positive steps towards my my goal mm-hmm. so how do you i know this is something that really drives you right now is that you want to like you really believe in the power of coaching and you want to make it an organizational imperative. And I would guess that that spans further than just where you are at Chobani, that you would want to see that true in a lot of different organizations. So if we look at accountability, let's say, that's something that you thought was really important. How do you look at building in accountability through coaching at an organizational level? Yeah, it's it's a great great question and it's it's one that I'm I'm consistently trying to to solve for because I'm I don't know if I even said this but senior manager of learning and development at at Chobani and and the way that the learning and development profession has really evolved over time is it used to be just called training and it was just all about training 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 people need to get trained on things and really what research has shown is that uh, we forget most of what we've learned in in a training <laughs> and and it's really what happens after that training or on, on the job on a day-to-day basis that drives development <laughs> and performance and and that's what's a, a, you know a huge focus those two <laughs> words in, in in the workplace and so it's not just about making a training or a learning experience engaging and, and useful, but how do you enforce accountability afterwards? How do you give time f- for people to practice these new skills so that they can perform them effectively on, on the job? And those are those are so much tougher problems to solve than just making a good training, which is not an easy thing to do. Don't get me wrong. It's its own it's its own challenge. But once you do it, you've done it and you can check it off the list if that's the only thing you're thinking about. But if you're really thinking about how to translate your learning experience into uh, development and performance, it doesn't end there. There has to be, there has to be a framework of, of, of accountability and practice to, to, to drive that. And coaching, I mean, I, I experienced firsthand is, is, is a great way to do that because you have to answer to somebody. Now it's the best place for that to come from is, is, is a person's manager, because that's, if it matters to your boss, it matters to you. So if your boss does something as simple as just ask you the question, Hey, what did you learn at that training? And how have you applied it in the, in the last two weeks? All of a sudden, boom, accountability. <laughs> if they don't, the, the chances of you, of you making that transition from, from learning to, to performance, uh, and practice is is very 
is, is much smaller. Mm-hmm. So is that is that really one of the simplest ways that you look at it is that there's some sort of built in line of questioning that you would adhere to to make it so that it's not just the sit down and learn for an hour that you're actually practicing it? Is that is that really step one? Yeah, I, I think I think that creating time for formal learning is important, but I think that can take shape in so many different ways. It can be as simple as just reflect it after a project, having a postmortem discussion with your team about what should we keep doing? What should we do differently next time? Oh, you know, if we could start it all over, what would we have done? And just really thinking through that because yes, learning happens on the job, but it doesn't happen automatically on the job. <laughs> it, it happens through purpose, you know, intentional re- re- reflection and, and practice. And so it's, it's, formal learning being important, but then what practices do we have in place to, to, to drive on the job improvement? Another thing that I know you value and that I think it's imperative to create an environment that is ripe for learning is psychological safety. And I, I wonder as a facilitator, how you look at establishing psychological safety, like what, what are some ways that you help people feel safe when, when you're leading these trainings that you're probably exploring edges that are a little bit uncomfortable to talk about. That's, that's a really great question. And certainly something I won't, I won't pretend to be in an expert on, but I, what I've found works well, I, I, I encounter thinking through this the most that I lead our, our LGBTQ plus and allies employee resource group at, at Chobani. So I, I think about that a lot in the context of leading and facilitating our, our, our meetings and discussions. And what I found works really well is, is, is vulnerability. And a lot of people don't start out one of these meetings or calls prepared to talk even let alone open up about something personal and that's really where we've had the most meaningful discussions and so if you're a leader or a facilitator and you are showing that vulnerability it gives everybody else permission to to do the same it creates this sort of snowball vulnerability snowball effect which is is, it's a beautiful thing to to witness in, in in person and so it's it's something that I, I think the word vulnerability doesn't get spoken enough about at work because it feels emotional and not not relevant. But it, it as I've I've learned from my my idol Brene Brown, it is it is so critical to unlocking performance and trust and and so many other really important things that a lot of us at work are, are striving to achieve. You have first of all. Renee Brown's my idol as well. So <laughs> I have to shout, shout that out. Do you have, is there an example that comes to mind of a way that you modeled that or that someone else modeled that in a facilitation or a meeting for you? I mean, there's, I could think of probably many different ways that that's been really powerful for me. But yeah, is it what, what comes up for you in terms of how vulnerability helped establish that psychological safety? Great question. It it can happen in really small ways or, or or bigger ways. So a small way could be something as simple as uh, sometimes I'll use like 
kind of like icebreaker question prompts to, to to get people talking. And recently, one of them was, "What's the most you thing that you've done recently?" And for me, it was I had a softball game after work the day before, and I had a separate bag with my glove and my cleats in it. And on my way out the door, I was so focused on eating, which is <laughs> something I'm often quite focused on, <laughs> as, as you learned from my growing up story, and that I just was stuffing my face with food in the kitchen, taking down all the Chobanis, <laughs> and just that walked out the door with a handful of food and my ba- my softball bag of cleats and gloves in, in the Chobani kitchen and show up to the field and my change of clothes. And so I show up to the field for our first game on a team where I know almost nobody and I have nothing, <laughs> I have nothing. And, and so even just telling a story that just sheds you in a light of not being this perfect person, I, I think makes other people more comfortable sharing things that are, you know, not just like the Instagram side of yourself, but the, you know, the, the messy side of, of, of yourself. And so I consider that to be a, a small way and in a larger way, we had a, a, a meeting to talk about community and, and a story that comes to mind when, when you hear the word community, because that's the theme of our, of our group this year. And that's where I shared the, the, you know, my, my coming out story and, and how, the sense of community I felt on on my birthright trip made me comfortable moving across the country because I knew that there were good people everywhere and that I could build community somewhere outside of where I was was, was currently living. Well, what's the most you thing that you've done recently is an amazing question. I definitely <laughs> want to steal that. And I love that story. It's, uh, it might seem trivial and small, but it's it opens everyone up to like, yeah, we, we make stupid mistakes sometimes and we're all, we're all flawed humans. And it's actually really funny if we can bring some levity and lightness to that. And I mean, you, you mentioned Brene Brown. I know that she has influenced the way that you look at leadership and thinking a lot. And Adam Grant, I think, is another person that you you probably think of a lot. Whether it's through their books, if you wanted to talk about books, I, I wanted to unpack a little bit just besides vulnerability, which we've already spoken about, how have, and it doesn't have to be limited to them, but those are two that I know for sure have influenced the way that you look at leadership. So how have different books by Adam Grant or podcasts, or what what have been some things that you've learned that have shaped the way that you look at being a, a leader? Yeah, great, great question. Adam Grant has such a similar sort of mission as, as me in terms of making work, work life better. And so I, I, I probably just subconsciously, there's just so much of, of, of what he puts out there that, that, that influences what I do. I, I, I would say that the most influential, most influential book or any piece of content that for me has been dare to lead by, by Brene Brown. And that just has so much packed into it that is so relevant and helpful. I, one thing that comes up for me is on, on empathy. Cause I always considered myself a very empathetic person. And when I read the section of that book on, on empathy, I, I realized that I was, I was missing the boat, not all the time, of course. And and we all miss the boat sometimes on empathy and nobody's, nobody's a hundred percent on that front, but it, it made me realize that, that I could show up a lot better in, in, in a lot of different circumstances. And so, and that matters so much at, at 
inside and outside of work. And that's, that's, that's what I, my favorite part about some of the things I'm, I'm most passionate about trying to spread and, and share and uh, learn with, with colleagues is that it, it's the stuff that can also help you out, outside of work. It just has like a double, double benefit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember in, Dare to Lead really impacted me too. And in the beginning, I mean, speaking of modeling vulnerability, that's, I mean, Brene knows so much as a researcher and and as a, a practicer of, of the work, you know, she's a social worker by trade. So she's got this amazing blend of knowing what the research suggests and also is able to put it into practice. But in the very beginning of the book, she tells a story about, I believe it was a TED talk that she was about to give where she just felt like she didn't belong in that room. She was really scared and she felt like she was maybe coming out of her body even a little bit. And she she really walks us through in, in good granular detail about just how tough of an experience that was for her, that she really didn't feel like she was going to deliver a good talk. And I think it was something along the lines of everyone else that's here, they're just people too. Like people, all people, these people, 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 yes. <laughs> like, and I think it's, it's really easy to put on a pedestal. Like as a society, we do this with doctors and CEOs and all, all these people that have status in, in hierarchy and, and power. They're all people too. And so uh, Brene does a really amazing job of saying, you know, a lot of people, I think she recognizes this. A lot of people look up to me. I have established strong credibility. And I'm a human and I get scared sometimes. I get really scared sometimes. And that fosters a deeper connection. It We think, I, I know this has been the case for me. Like I want to come across as having my shit together or something all the time. Like I know the answer and I'm super competent and I'm smart. And there's something actually way more deeply connecting about me saying I don't have my shit together a lot of the time. That, you know, sometimes I'm really off. Sometimes I get really scared. And so, I mean, if nothing else, Dare to Lead, which has much more to it than that, it it opens us up to people, 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 like you said. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Especially when it comes to the public speaking, you can build the audience up to be, yeah, you almost dehumanize them in a way of, of like lifting them up to this, this, you know, they're they're these high and, and mighty people that are going to be so judgmental of you, but they're just, yeah, they're, they're, they're just people. And what I, what I love most about Brene is that it's, there's a lot of people who talk the talk, but she leads her own business. And so she consistently on her podcast as well, she brings it back to her own, her own challenges and struggles and successes. And it, it really makes it so much more meaningful to to hear about like you hear about leadership development from everybody under under the sun, but from somebody who, like you said, has done the research, but then is also practicing and and experiencing the the real messiness of it. <laughs> it's it it really it's it's something that is so easy to latch onto and and beneficial to learn from. And she she talks about it. I mean, I think that the people who have the best or the people I'm most drawn to in leadership development realize that you alluded to this, that it applies to all areas of your life. And so actually, one of the greatest sources of my personal growth in, in leadership development is my relationship with Ari, because I mean, I'm with her every single day. 
and Ari's my wife, by the way, for listeners who <laughs> might not know that. And th- I'm very, I'm most likely to show up as the parts of myself that I'm least proud of in my relationship to Ari, which is in some ways a shame, but also is uh, something that really helps me learn and grow every single day. So I, I talk about this a lot, but when I don't feel seen by her, it could be really micro things like I'm talking and and she goes on her phone. It brings up a lot in me that my coworkers probably don't see, but it actually does translate into how I might show up at work too. That if I don't feel seen, then I'm likely to want to pounce on the person that I'm going to get defensive. I'm going to get reactive. And yeah, Brene talks a lot about her relationship with her husband and with her kids that she snaps all the time. You would think there's a, a certain facade that someone in, in leadership development has a lot of times that, you know, I know everything about psychology. So, of course, I show up, air quotes, enlightened and doing the right thing all the time. And that's just there isn't a single person on the planet who does that. It's it's a false standard to hold ourselves to. It's, it's, I mean, it's how we're neurologically hardwired. It's, it's like the same, it's the same thing that we used to need for survival when, you know, if you saw a tiger in the woods <laughs> and it's the same things going on in the brain, except you have, you're not, it's, there's not a direct threat to your life, but your, your insides don't know that. And so you have this like triggered reaction and it's, I, I can totally, totally relate to that, especially in terms of feeling feeling seen and it's just yeah just reminding yourself that that's not <laughs> there's there, that's not the that's not the story uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so is there is there anything about facilitation leadership development or or about your story like anything that we haven't covered so far today that feels important to you to share any dots you want to connect we we, we spoke about you know i, I spoke a bit about learning and development and performance and like a lot of the things I'm focused on at Chibani. But I, I think another one that just is, is, is super important and underlies all of it is, is building connections and just connecting with other humans. And that, that really gives people uh, a sense of, of belonging and, and purpose. And you're, you're doing it for a, a group of people that you, uh, that you care for and that you respect and so that's something that I'm trying to consciously think about more as I approach work. I'm so used to just, you know, being so laser focused on the the task at hand or the, the project at hand and to just make it as impactful as possible. But what really uh, impacts how people perform at work is how they feel. They have to feel good. They have to feel like if you feel like you're work if you feel like you're working with your friends you're more likely to stay you're more likely to 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 perform better and so doing the things that don't feel quote unquote productive mm-hmm. <laughs> oftentimes they are they're having the impact that i'm reading all this research and books and podcast i'm doing all these things to create this impact and something as simple as just having a conversation with somebody can can help mm-hmm. achieve the same thing so i'm i'm trying to to, to really strike that that balance and I felt it was worth worth calling out mm-hmm. yeah and and this by no means is me wrapping up the conversation I just I wanted to give you an opportunity to 
maybe share something that feels, I know that I've been directing a lot of the, the way the conversation has been going, but I, we, we haven't really spoken that much about the diversity, equity, and inclusion components of your work. And I think that's a, a really important aspect that I think a lot of organizations are paying some sort of lip service to, or even acting on it in some way, but it's really challenging to actually create inclusive spaces that cultivate true belonging. And this is another thing that I learned from a, a former guest of mine is that a lot of times the inclusive spaces that we are creating, there's an inherent, like we're making it inclusive into a kind of heteronormative, pre predominantly white space. So we're not actually making it inclusive in a way that's accounting for the diversity of the room. It's uh, like, we welcome you to our room type of sentiment. And yeah, just wondering how you look at belonging and uh, DE&I as a facilitator, like what, what are some ways that you're able to actually account for that and not make it so that it's like what I said, that we're, you know, saying this is a predominantly white space and predominantly hetero space and we welcome you to our space. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we had a, we had an amazing guest speaker last year, Gab Gabby Davis, and and she said something that has really stuck with me. And she said, there are no safe spaces. There are only safer <laughs> spaces because, and it's, it's so true. And that's, and I've really tried to be conscious of not claiming <laughs> this is an inclusive, safe space because maybe it is for me, or maybe that's what I want it to be, but that's doesn't mean that it is for everybody else in the room. I, I think just tying it back to my own, what we were talking about before in terms of being this ideal male, I, I wanted to call out that that being feeling like I was so close to that and, and having that be a reason why coming out took so long really came from a place of privilege. <laughs> um, it was because I am a white male and I was able to fit the mold in so many ways that benefited me and privileged me throughout my life that this just felt like the one thing that was standing in the way. And so I wanted to just, I wanted to push it off to the side, but there's so many people that don't have any of that privilege. And that comes with its own set of what, what I'll say are bigger challenges. Uh, and, and so I'm, it's, it's something that I am constantly trying to, 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 to work through and, and, and figure out, I don't have, uh, I haven't, I have, it's not something that I've, solved for but being a, a white male as a leader of of our lgbtq plus group um i want to make sure that there are voices and perspectives that are that are coming through that are that are different than mine because it's that's that's the the way for us to all learn more to, to feel like we belong more and and to and to slowly try to make the world a little bit more of an inclusive place mm -hmm. Well, a big part of this, honestly, is from what I'm hearing is just saying, I don't, <laughs> this isn't my, my space to claim. And we, let's just have more voices in the room and, and being more opening to listening is, is really what I'm hearing. The listening and not saying, you know, I'm the person who's creating this <laughs> space and we welcome you is in and of itself already a big step towards having a, an actually inclusive space. It's that it's not mine to say. And I want to listen to what your experience of being a person is like. And from that, we, there's more, there's just more room to grow and, and learn about each other. 
it's it seems like it's you know societally organizationally really missing in the discourse of of how we interact with each other <laughs> there's a lot of binaries and like a right way and a wrong way and polarization and just creating space where we can listen to each other seems like uh, at least half the battle yeah it yeah a lot of times it it is it it could be even more than more than half the battle and it's it feels simple but it's 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 so important and it doesn't it doesn't happen a lot especially at at work and you know just a, a really good like i'm learning as i go and i just a, such a good example of of someone who i learned from as recently as is last week you know with with pride month coming up we like to broaden the conversation to, to the whole company and and have some some folks come in to to speak and to to have conversations that facilitate higher levels of learning and understanding and and we approached somebody her name is Tara Robertson I hope I'm hope I'm pronouncing her last name correctly we were talking about how we wanted to you know, we wanted her to, to potentially speak and and one of the topics that is really top of mind for us is everything that's that's going on in the, the trans community and and just how dehumanizing it can be when if you're just experiencing it from the news or the media and 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 the politicians and how we wanted to to kind of rehumanize it and and she immediately said i wouldn't feel comfortable doing that i i think you should bring trans folks uh, into your you know into your discussion to talk about this and that was just so selfless as somebody who who makes a living off of, of doing these these speaking engagements just immediately not pulling herself out because we we want to we, we want to work with her because how amazing she is but but to really say that the whole point of this is to is to elevate the folks who have been pushed down by society and and to allow them to share their lived experiences and so that they can be rehumanized, which is just so it's, it's so foundational to everything else. Hmm. What is mommy has a mustache? <laughs> so mama has a mustache. Mama. Is, <laughs> you're close enough. It's a, it's a short 10 minute film produced by Sally Rubin and it, it's it's something that we we showed for our our group and and also our parents and caregivers group and it's a it's a playful documentary about how about gender from the perspective of kids just how how they view it before society pushes its own uh own kind of biases and, and beliefs on on us and it's a it's a really it's a really fantastic way to to bring up conversations about gender in, in a lighthearted way the the film doesn't give any opinions or or answers it's asked questions and and lets kids give what they think their answers are and and that i think helps us all gives us a perspective change kids can be so enlightening because of how untainted they are by by society and you really see that come through in in the film that we watch together and and it's it's something that it, it helps spark discussions uh, with employees uh, uh, afterwards. And that's, that's what we really go for the most is, is that to, to have these conversations happen more for, to see real 
experiences of, of others uh, and to to be able to to talk about it in a way that doesn't feel like we're on eggshells but just to all get a little bit of a, a higher level of, of, of understanding of, of how we can um, approach gender in a way that that doesn't you know leave people out and and, mm-hmm. and it leaving people out has really really we have a fundamental need to belong all, all humans were hardwired that way and so just pushing people out of the picture and and telling them that they they don't exist in, in various different ways is i mean the the data doesn't lie in terms of suicide rate and mental health challenges that that come with it so it's it's really important stuff to to, to try to move the needle on mm-hmm. well are there any books or resources that we haven't mentioned so far that you would want to point people to or or that have been informative that have shifted perspective for you we, we've already named a bunch but is, is there anything else that feels top of mind i i think most important is to just for me i've i've found so much learning i hate to say it from social from social media but it gives you an opportunity to to follow people if you grow up in a certain neighborhood or a certain area you just might not meet a black person you might not meet a trans person and and so the beautiful thing about social media is that it allows us to connect with a, a more diverse group of of people and and perspectives and so i just encourage whatever you know, diversity means so many different things. And so just to just try to try to, if you are somebody that uses social media, just to try to surround your, your, your sphere with, with, with people who are different from you, people who may have different opinions from you, people who think differently. It doesn't mean that you have to agree with everything they say. It doesn't mean that you have to love them, but it, it does help. And I, and I think, to tie it back to, to Adam Grant's think again, I, I think it's, it, mm-hmm. it, it gives opportunity to, to rethink some maybe deeply held beliefs that, that we have about others. <laughs> mm-hmm. So every episode I ask for the, the guests, which is you in this case, to select an organization that you want to raise awareness for. And you wanted to raise awareness for Compassion Animal Project of which I know you are very involved with. So I want to give you the floor to say a word or two or 50 about your involvement in Compassion Animal Project, why it matters so much to you. And I, of course, will be donating and am a proud supporter and will link to it in the show notes and invite people to do the same. But what's uh, what's Compassion Animal Project? Yes, thank you. Thank you for donating. That means so much to me. I, I think it's such an amazing thing that you do as, as part of this this podcast. It's 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 special and, and unique. Compassion Animal Project. I'm I'm chair of, of the board and it's an animal welfare nonprofit that keeps families together. We provide, we fund life-saving surgery for for pets when when the owners can't afford it. There's 2 million pets who are euthanized each year because the owners cannot afford this, the surgery. And the surgeries and the medical procedures that we fund, it's not for a 18-year-old dog that has a month left. It's for your, your three-year-old puppy or your two-year-old kitten who accidentally choked on something unexpectedly or some, something happens suddenly that you know a lot of families aren't prepared to you know they have to feed themselves first and especially with you know different challenging economic times it can be really 
really tough. There's a lot of nonprofits that help animals get adopted, which is so amazing. But we need more like Compassion Animal Project. We're going to actually keep the pets alive. And, and, and by supporting this organization, you not only save a pet, you save you 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 make you save their family yeah you, the family you become heroes to the family and to the vets i mean the reason why this organization was was founded is is my cousin rand who is a, a retired vet had to euthanize so many pets and he it, it was heartbreaking and he wanted to do something about it and so as a vet being able to 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 save pets that you would have otherwise had to put down i mean it just it, it it helps their mental health and, and fulfillment in their jobs to, to do that as well. So it's, it's a really amazing organization and I really appreciate you, you, you contributing to it, Mike. It's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. It's my pleasure. And, and if that already isn't a benefit enough that you realize how big a difference you're making, I'll also add that if you're lucky, Ben might even record a video for you and, <laughs> and let you know specifically the impact that your donation had. So, there's a, a nice personal touch that you give to it. And it's for a, an incredible cause. So like I said, I'm, I'm really proud to be a supporter of it and invite everyone to do the same, to donate. So I just have a few more questions for you. And you probably know that these are coming as well because I ask very similar ones at the end of every interview. But uh, what's an ordinary everyday moment that brings you great joy? See, I didn't prepare for these questions, even though I, <laughs> even though I've listened to your podcast so many times. <laughs> oh, in an ordinary moment that brings me joy, I, my my mind immediately goes to being outside. <laughs> just yeah, just just going for just walking somewhere uh, and anywhere. <laughs> just the ability to to do that, to to be healthy enough to do that, for the weather to be conducive enough to do that. It just it 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 feels. There's something really refreshing about it. What is something that people would be surprised to learn about you? And maybe maybe Mike will learn something new about you too. I, well, depending on who you are, you may, may or may not be surprised, but I am, I, I lead the uh, food operation for my Burning Man camp of, of about 45 people and, you know, coordinate the entire effort of, of feeding those 45 people for, you know, for, for eight to 10 days. And so that's a, that's, that's a fun side project that if you're one of my friends, you might know about it. If you're one of my coworkers, you might not. <laughs> uh, is there, I like Burning Man was something that I, I thought maybe we'd get to because I know it brought a lot of learning to you and uh, yeah, just experientially, there's so much that you go through while you're there and it didn't really organically make its way into the conversation until right now, actually. So if, is there anything that as it pertains to what we've spoken about so far today, that Burning Man sparked in you, awoke in you or something that you've learned from that experience? Yeah, absolutely. It, it to me, it reinforced a lot of things that I think need constant reinforcement. You know, you know what I mean? I think that's, I think a lot of self-development falls into that bucket. It's like sometimes like whatever you're reading most recently shows up more. And and so even if you something you looked at or you read or you remember from a few years ago, it might not be showing up as much anymore. So so getting those reminders is, is super important. And and for me, the biggest one was just it 
it it was hard in a lot of ways it was hot and dusty and dirty and just so so many challenges that that come with it but it was so rewarding to see how many people were willing to put in so much effort to create this really special temporary experience for a week that's to me was so inspiring about what people were willing to do for to to create an experience for everybody else that is that is special and and comes down and goes and and goes away and, and disappears and so that's having to go through all the the difficult stuff to get to experience that is to me just how life looks in in a, in a lot of ways there's a lot of struggle that precedes progress and so it's it's a, a reminder that i need to to embrace the struggle and to associate it with positive as opposed to associating it with inherently it feels negative because it's not happening easily and, and and so definitely a reminder i, I want to glad you brought it up because it's it's one i could use today so uh, yeah yeah <laughs> i love that I, I mean something when you shared your experience with me something that stood out to me that was definitely one of them but there were a couple of things. One was there was a there was a ceremony around loss that you all honored someone that had passed away in some sort of recent memory, and that's something that as a society we really suck at, like dealing with loss and honoring loss. And there's kind of a, I don't know, I don't know the way to say it, but like like we have such a forward motion as a society that it's we sometimes forget to honor those who who are our predecessors. And there's something really beautiful about the ritual of, and like with death, we're really bad at it too. We just, we have a funeral and then there's like a small mourning period. And then it's like, you just get plopped right back into our life. And so that was something I was really touched by when you shared about Burning Man. And another thing I was touched by was the, I think there's a dedication to the arts there that, like a lot of the performers are at wee hours in the morning or times where there's not a lot of, you know, approval from other people necessarily. It's just, you know, for the love of what they're doing, they're showing up and doing it, that it feels like the culture of Burning Man. And there's something to be said about that. I, I aspire to that with my podcast in a way too, is that, even if no one listened to this conversation, I'm getting something out of that. And there's something really beautiful about that, that a performer at Burning Man is probably showing up with that type of energy too. Totally, totally. It's 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 cool to that they have built this culture of 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 openness and of 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 helping others and and, and like we talked about before with connection. I think we all crave connection, but but it's hard like even when i go into the office i'm like oh i should be like the most bubbly uh-huh. social fun conversational person there and like sometimes i find myself like recluding and and at there's a certain kind of a, a cultural norm there of just talking to strangers and of just being you know just having a conversation about something and that being like what you expect when you're there and that breaks down this this wall that I think at least I I put up sometimes for no real good reason <laughs> because of the social uncomfortableness of of uh, that that is possible when you engage with somebody else. And so that it's just it's just really nice to to be a part of that and see that it's possible outside of the you know outside of this context you can make this happen anywhere. 
Um, it's just, it just, it, it's just not as, uh, it, it's something we should strive to make more of a, of a cultural norm, I would say. Yeah. Well, it, there's something to be said again about the set and setting that is being created, right? So if the, the environment is ripe for, I, you know, it's part of the normal culture that I go walk up to someone, it's not weird or awkward, and it's just part of the, the fabric, then it just sets up the environment for success. And, and that's <laughs> yeah. not, it's hard to build that in a workplace when so much emphasis is placed on getting tasks done, like you have spoken to. So there is, there is a good, you said it was for no good reason, but I actually think there is a <laughs> good reason. It's just, it's not really celebrated in a work setting. At least in my experience, I haven't seen that as much as when you're at a festival like that, it's, you're much more likely to be we'll call it in your element or uh, wanting to explore or learn new things. So like creating, it'd be really cool if we were focusing on, on that in our work context as well. And I know that you are, so you're, you're up for the task. And <laughs> You made a good connection for me though, which I don't think I had previously made is that there is a capitalistic element as to why that's harder to show up at work, right? Cause we're going back to tasks that we need to be productive, to make the company money, to make ourselves money. And there is no money at, at, at Burning Man. So that like that pull towards like, well, I should be doing something more, you know, productive is, is not inherently there <laughs> and, and so it does it does make it a lot easier to just be <laughs> yes yes so where would you invite people to connect with you i know uh, linkedin is a place maybe that people could see what you're up to uh, where would you invite people to connect with you yeah i think linkedin would be would be great i uh, when i was embarking on this career change i messaged a lot of folks on linkedin that i didn't know just at, just hoping to to network and and learn a little bit about what they're doing and to help kind of shape my my path forward and so i i always try to pay it forward as much as i can and connect with with people who for it doesn't matter the reason unless you're trying to sell me something <laughs> um, i i i get a lot of fulfillment out of out of helping others i i i want i want others to 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 be able to navigate their career in whatever way that means to, to be more, more fulfilling for them. And, and I'm, I'm happy to help in any way I can. Well, that's very generous of you. And I hope people take you up on the, on that. And the final question that I know, you know, is coming. I don't know how much you've prepared for this one. I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, <clears throat> podcast, as you know, is called Mike search for meaning. And I want to know what it means to you to live a meaningful life. To me, it's, it's having a really strong relationship with myself and, and, and others, having really strong connection with others and, and a really good relationship with, with myself. I think when, when I, if I have to distill it down, if, if I have those two things going for me, that's where I find myself at, at, at the happiest. <laughs> well, Benny, I, I appreciate as a three, at least my understanding of a three Enneagram that you, you showed up with a level of trust that you didn't have uh, all the preparation of, I know exactly <laughs> what I'm going to say to all of my questions. That's right. That's you, right. <laughs> you stepped out of your comfort zone a little bit and said, I trust that I will come up with an answer that is aligned and, and meaningful to me. And I really enjoyed this conversation. It's not every day that I get to sit down for a recorded kind of blocked off two hour experience with my best friend. 
And it's really neat to learn more about you in ways that if we were just hanging out, there's something about, this is a very meta reflection, but the set and setting of a podcast, it kind of creates this environment where we can learn about each other in a way that if we were to just sit down in, in another place, we, we might not get to all of these different insights. And uh, me sitting in the interview chair was a, a neat experience. I actually felt more nervous for this one than a lot of my other conversations because <clears throat> I'm so used to just like being with you in so many other contexts, but never in, in this one. So I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I you You mentioned that you've learned something, at least from me, in terms of different questions that you could sit with in, in terms of finding what you want in your career. But I have learned a shit ton from you, uh, to use the technical term, a, a shit ton. From watching you really bridge the gap of here's what I want, here's where I am right now, here's how I can make that happen. You are in like the best sense of the word. You, you manifest things and make them happen. You really act on what you want. And that's something I've really had a hard time with and have learned from uh, being alongside you in your journey. And your commitment to helping people is something that I share and, and really look up to. And as I said from the onset, I just fucking love you. It's so mutual. And I, I, I would be surprised if you've learned and grown more from me than I have from you, because if I haven't already if I haven't already said it enough, maybe I haven't is, is like, I think I was saying before, just in terms of being a product of your environment, having you such a big part of, of my environment has been so influential. Uh, even like when I was saying before about coming out and not seeing yourself and other people making it really difficult, like seeing myself in, in you in the context of pursuing what you're, you're passionate about and helping people and taking taking risk and 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 really just going after it has been uh, incredibly influential for me so so thank you for being such a big big part of of this story that I was able to share with you today <laughs> I love it thank you Benny I'm, I'm touched by that and uh, it was cool to hear that you shared as close as two days ago that you you shared out some of those questions and that it's it, it goes to show that like there's so much that we don't know that's happening that you know if we by having this conversation, there's people that might be touched by this. That I have no idea we're ever touched by it, but it's there's something beautiful to be said about just putting it out there and letting the universe take care of the rest. But there's there's plenty more we could talk about. Hopefully, this won't be the last time we're on this podcast. It obviously won't be the last time that we sit down and talk about some of these things. But to all the listeners, thank you for listening. Thank you so much. And hope you have a good rest of your day or evening. Take good care and lots of love. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's Search for Meaning. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends, and leave a review. I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well, and keep living with purpose. Peace.